Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, or sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I am a dancer here based in Vancouver, Canada. I'm also a content creator and also a former sugar baby. And I host this show every single Sunday. There's new episodes every single week with different people that are from the sex industry or people that are allies um, within our industry as well. So you'll hear from different cam models. You'll hear from people within uh, the strip industry as well, people behind the scenes and porn. You'll hear from different sexual health educators, um, professors, just a a wide range of people. And that's just uh, to really provide a transparent scope on sex work and what it is that we do. (laughs) Because that seems to be a big question mark sometimes, or people have a certain idea of what we do or assumptions about what we do. And I just kind of want to set the record straight and just bring the people on that are actually involved in the industry and tell their side of the story. So, and that's pretty much why I do the show. And I've been doing this for the past couple of years. So if you're new here, there are over a hundred, probably at this time of recording, probably over 130, 135 episodes that you can kind of pick and choose. And there's lots and lots of goodies and resources there that you can definitely listen on. Um, If you're a fan of the show, I'd also really appreciate a nice five-star review on Spotify or Apple or a nice written review as well. If you want to share your thoughts, your feedback, good or bad, Uh, I won't be offended if it's bad, but I really haven't got any bad feedback. But um, yeah, I would really love to hear from you. And also if you're interested, Patreon.com slash Strip by Sia is where you can find all the exclusive video content, my bonus episodes that are also up on there, a lot of sneak peek on who's coming onto the show and what topics I'll be reporting on. So just lots of lots of stuff out there. It's important work that um, I do. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think it is important work that we speak about this to help normalize our profession. So enough of me talking though. (laughs) And I have been doing a lot of talking also. My voice is still recovering from the week that I lost my voice. So apologies if the raspiness is still present, unless you like that kind of thing, which is totally fine. (laughs) But I am very excited to bring on this week's guest uh, just because it has been so long since I've had Um, someone from the disabled community to come onto the show. It's actually been almost two years since I've spoken about um, disability and sex work. And the last person I had on to speak about this was a fellow performer by the name of Raphael Hot Rod, who spoke to us about his disability. And um, we also spoke about the devotee community and stuff as well. And I just had this great opportunity to get in touch with Cam Model, We also have feminist. We also have um, disability advocate, um, ostomate, which is a new term that I have been learning today, and um, overall sex worker and content creator. Go ask Alex onto the show today. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. We're going to be talking all about bodies. Um, the underrepresentation of bodies and disabled folks in the sex industry, in pornography, and also to learn a little bit about what um, disability she suffers from and what impact that has had on her life in sex work before, after, what surgery is like. I just think it's a really fascinating story and I can't wait to learn more. So enough of me talking. Go ask Alex, are you there? Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's so lovely to have you on to the show uh, today. Thank you so much for coming on. I super appreciate this. I mean, I, I listed out a number of things, <laughs> lots of different titles, lots of things that you wear on your shoulder there. I want to flip it back to you to give you the opportunity to define yourself and however you want to define yourself. So feel free to go ahead and take the mic. Yeah, I mean, I, everything you said is absolutely true. I'm, I mean, I am a, I'm a sex worker. Obviously, I'm a person with a disability. Um, I am a digital content creator. I'm an OnlyFans model. I'm a dog mom. Um, I'm an avid hiker. Um, kind of all of the above. 
Yeah, I think I think you really nailed it. All of the things. Check, check, check. Okay, good. My research here is done. <laughs> so back to you. So we are going to be talking about a number of things today. Um, I don't even know where to start. I guess maybe if we want to start with your entry into sex work, a lot of people are usually interested in hearing what the story is. How did you fall, fall into this line of work? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a question I get asked a lot. And honestly, I wish I had a more exciting story to tell. But my entry into the industry was similar to probably what a lot of other people's entry is like, which just came out of a space of necessity. Uh, I really needed work. I needed money. Uh, I had a difficult time holding down a job because of my disability and some mental health things I was going through. Um, and it wasn't so much falling into this work as it was just launching myself into it because someone told me, hey, don't you know you can, you know, you can masturbate in front of a webcam and make money for that. And I thought like, what? That's, that's like, how is that a job? Uh, but it is a job. And obviously there's a lot more to it than just masturbating in front of a camera. Masturbating um, in, front of a ca- but, <laughs> in front of a camera. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot more to it than, than just that. But um, it, yeah, I just never really looked back. I mean, I was working a few different jobs at the beginning uh, of like my, my, my sex work career, but over time, it just didn't make sense to be busing all over town, spending all this money on bus fare to go earn $10 an hour or working split shifts or getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to work. Um, It just didn't make sense to be doing that when I had this more accessible income available to me at home. Um, So yeah, it's something I kind of just launched myself into and I've really never looked back. I can't imagine doing anything else. That's awesome. And and no worries about like, not having a really cool story. It's like not even about that. And I think a lot of people might expect that there's some kind of crazy story or background that like caused us to go into this work. And it's really not about that. It really, it, it sometimes really just boils down to, as you mentioned, necessity and needing and you're strapped for cash and things just not making sense anymore. And, and that's why a lot of us fall into this – fall into it, but choose, sorry, I want to correct my own language here as well, but choose to be in this line of work. And even my conversations with other past guests I've had on the show, um, this is also why a lot of disabled sex workers choose this line of work because of perhaps physical limitations or, or even just seeing, and it really just depends on the disability or the handicap. But sometimes I feel or what I've gathered from conversations with them is that employers are not recognizing or taking seriously what their handicap might be. And that is being translated in their mind as that's crappy work ethic. This person's like taking time off the floor too much or this person can't stand on their feet for X amount of hours. Do you have any insight on that or has that happened to you specifically? Oh, certainly. With a lot of different jobs that I was working, uh, I would have to leave halfway through the day or unexpectedly take days off, which most employers don't love. And also, I mean, I can't pay my rent when I'm unexpectedly taking days and days and days off, right? Um, so the way I see the sex work industry is is that it has what some might call a low barrier to entry, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's undesirable work, but that it's easier to get into the industry. Um, So for example, like a single parent or a person with a disability, um, it's an accessible choice of work that most people can do. Um, Whereas in other industries, you know, that can be, those, those can be things that make your career more difficult or make it more difficult to climb up the ranks in a career. Right. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense for sure. And yeah, like as you mentioned, low low barriers to <laughs> low entry. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm still a little bit sick. Um, but just the accessibility of this line of work is it is a, definitely a factor that makes our line of work very appealing to many. But um, before we kind of go into this, like I want to kind of learn more about what your disability is and what I've read online is that you suffer from ulcerative colitis and 
something new that I might, I probably just don't have much understanding on. Um, but if you can so kindly tell the audience what that what that is and how that affects you. Yeah, so ulcerative colitis, or you can just call it colitis, uh, it's a form of bowel disease. Uh, I guess it presents differently in everyone, but for me, it was rather aggressive. And I was diagnosed at a very young age, so I was sick all through childhood and infancy. Uh, And then that carried on throughout my life into my adult life. And uh, it it was very pervasive for me. It was very aggressive. It was an aggressive disease for me. And I never was really getting those long periods of remission that some people do. So when I'm sick, I would, I would have, you know, a lot of pain. Uh, there's a lot of things I wouldn't be able to eat. I'd be dehydrated. Uh, it was just overall like a, not a great way to be living my life. Uh, and in 2019, it reached a point where medic, I'd flunked out of all the medications. There was nothing else that could really be done to treat my disease that wouldn't have other, even worse effects on my body. And so the best option for me moving forward was to see a surgeon and to have major surgery to remove a major organ. So uh, I had what is professionally called a total abdominal colectomy, which is fancy doctor slang for I was disemboweled medically. I had my whole colon removed. Um, and now I have a permanent medical device uh, that is constantly attached to my body. And that's just kind of the new way that I live my life. So now I'm pain-free. Obviously there are other, there's pros and cons to, you know, needing to have a permanent medical device is not, it's not always Gucci. Uh, but as compared to how sick I was before, it's been, it's been amazing. Um, the, the transformation I've, I've had physically. So uh, yeah, that, that's how I live now. That's, that's, I, I'm, I'm a person with an ostomy or an ostomy, like you said. Um, and uh yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. I just, well, for one, I can't imagine the type of pain that you might have been feeling before your surgery and how that would have severely impacted your life. And I mean, the surgery to me, I mean, the pros would outweigh the cons, hopefully. And from what it sounds like, it sounds like it definitely has. Um, how was it like in terms of like the surgical procedure to remove your colon? Like, if you want to speak about that or if this is interest to, to you at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it was very intense. I mean, I knew that it was going to be painful, but I certainly didn't have an idea of what it was really going to be like and having pain deep inside your body, um, whether it's your organs or otherwise is very different than superficial pain. So it was uh, really something I can't even describe. Um, I'm very grateful that I'm past that point. When I was in the hospital, I was in so much pain that I was accidentally overdosed on painkillers by the nurses and ended up needing to be given like an anti-overdose agent, which then blocked all of the opiate receptors in my body. So then immediately after surgery, I had no pain medication at all for a period of time, maybe a half hour or so. I I honestly don't remember, Uh, but that was just some of the, I mean, the worst pain I ever felt in my life. It was, uh, it was just bonkers. So definitely the whole experience was uh, traumatizing. I mean, thankfully being in Canada, I didn't have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for the procedure that <laughs> was covered. Um, yeah, so that's great. But certainly something I, I would not wish upon. I would not wish upon anyone. I mean, in terms of like post-surgery, how has that impacted your life? Because now you have this permanent medical device um, on your body that I'm sure cannot be hidden, possibly uh, in the content work that you do. Can you speak to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I did sort of think about after surgery is going back to sex work going to be the best option for me, but I really can't see myself doing any other kind of work. And there was so much support from the community of other sex workers and fans uh, that I just, I just launched myself right back into it. And of course there were some people who weren't supportive of it, but I mean, those people, honestly, I'm just fueled by spite and stubbornness. So anytime someone tells me that I can't do something, I just want to do it more and harder and better. 
Uh, so I really just didn't look back and kept doing what I was doing. And, and in this work post-surgery, I came to realize what a lack of rep representation there is in adult media when there was nobody whose body looked like mine who is performing. And that was really eye-opening for me as someone who had been, I mean, chronically ill, but otherwise fairly able-bodied before surgery. It was this moment where I realized, wow, there's there's a huge issue here in terms of uh, the representation of 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 disabled bodies, which are essentially just normal bodies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And we're definitely going to be getting into the nitty gritty and all the detail about that because that, that is a huge, huge topic that I'm super excited for you for, to bring you on to speak specifically about that. Um, going back to um, you being an ostomate, and not even just in regards to sex work, but did you have any moral support? Did you, were you able to talk to or get in touch with anyone that had been through something like you had or had been suffering from the same disability as you were all these years? In the hospital after surgery, there were very little resources. There was a nurse who would come and, and check on me um, who was specific to ostomies who um, – you know, that was her job. And uh, yeah, there just wasn't a lot of actual information or sex, like sex ed. Um, and then there was a, a, a support group for people with an ostomy. Uh, however, we, they only met once before the pandemic started. So I, I mean, it's just not something that there are, there, there is a lot of support for, unfortunately. I mean, with that, it just sounds very isolating. I mean, I'll share a little bit something personal about me as well, but I suffer from two autoimmune diseases, um, and they're fairly, I want to say, fairly invisible, but I'll share with the audience because I want to be as transparent as possible. And I've mentioned it before too, but I suffer from eczema, and I also suffer from alopecia, so I actually wear a wig um, full time because my hair is just like gone. Um, but that has impacted me with, especially like in specific to dancing, uh, just well, one, it's not fun when you have cracked hands. I can't grab a pole or if I grab a pole and it starts bleeding everywhere. Everyone's like, what's wrong with your hand? Uh, why is it all red? And like, what's going on? And those comments have come since I was like, a little girl up into adulthood. Um, luckily, it's like a little bit manageable, but it just usually flares up when I'm stressed. And then, but with like the the wig thing, obviously, like when I'm swinging around the pole, I have to be kind of cautious about what moves I want to do, and risk like not like having my hair fly off on stage, which is probably my worst nightmare. But um, in terms of like you not having a lot of resources. I'm not sure if you ever felt like you were alone in this or felt isolated in any kind of sense or. Absolutely. I mean, just, just, just what you were speaking of, like having to worry about ensuring that your wig doesn't come off or worrying about, you know, maybe where you're putting your hands and how they look and how they're being perceived. That type of thing is something that a person without um, a chronic illness or disability doesn't have to think about. So when I'm performing and I'm super aware of, where is my ostomy when I'm angled this way or this way? Uh, that's something that another a person without an ostomy doesn't have to worry about. But for me, it's always an anxiety and it's always there. And I'm always conscious of whether it's showing in certain positions or uh, what kind of lingerie I can wear, et cetera, et cetera. So even just those types of small things, people don't realize, but that affects every step of the way uh, during your day, during your career, um, it's constant. Like having a chronic illness means I, I had an ex once who like after being together for a year or two, they said that they were really struggling with how I was sick all the time because they never realized that chronic means chronic. It's, it doesn't stop. It's a constant struggle. Um, and I mean, it takes a lot of privilege to even say that, yeah. you know, um, as a person, as if a person doesn't have an illness, but yeah, it is, um, it could be very isolating because nobody really understands what you're going through and people can listen mm -hmm. and do their best to be supportive. But unless they've lived it, they don't really 
know what it's like. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I know two other um, sex workers who have alopecia um, and uh, I uh, I guess neither of them are very open nor out about it. So I won't say their names, of course, but um, just having someone who understands where you're coming from is so important. Like if I, as a performer with an ostomy, was able to work with another performer with an ostomy, there'd be a level of understanding in the same way that if you were to work with someone who had um, eczema or another autoimmune that affected their skin or something like that, like there'd be a level of comfort and camaraderie Mm -hmm. and empathy and understanding. Um, Because people can be very well-meaning, but yeah. Sometimes they don't know that what they're saying is not the right thing to say. Like I've had so many people tell me like, oh, I don't even notice your ostomy. I I don't even see that it's there. I'm like, that's not like, I get that you're trying to make me feel better, but it's sort of akin to saying like, oh, well, I don't see race. It's like, well, race exists. So it doesn't matter whether or not you see it, it exists. And people are marginalized for different reasons and their experiences are real, whether or not that affects you. Uh, so yeah, it can be very isolating because even when people are trying, like, mean well, if they want to give you a suggestion, like, oh, you have alopecia, why don't you just wear a scarf? You're like, I, 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 I've thought of that, thank you. <laughs> or like, I have my one of my my sibling is blind, and like the amount of people who will be like, well, you should eat more carrots. It's like, oh it, do you think that she has never thought of that? Like, do you think that that didn't go? Through her mind and it's just it's exhausting as i'm sure you can imagine when oh you, when yeah you tell people that or when they you know see how you're living and they want to give you advice or or support and it's just not what you need but it's unsolicited <laughs> advice like it didn't it's ask- always unsolicited <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i don't need advice i'm an expert in my own body yes. you know like thank you it's yeah oh. like, for example like my partner uh, again means well means very well. I understand where he's coming from. However, he's just like, oh, like you're, there's a cut in your hand. Like, why don't you put a bandaid on it? Or why don't you put some lotion on? I'm like, do you think I haven't thought about this before? (laughs) Like, this isn't new. I've literally had eczema since I was a baby and I've been like working with different, like, um, like hydrocortisones and different kind of steroid creams. And like, even that I don't even want to touch anymore because it, the long-term effects on that is another thing. But yeah, as I mean, just going back to the conversation, it's just like advice that we are never asking for. So if anyone's listening out here, like there are different ways you can phrase things or there's just different ways you can approach a topic and show your support without sounding like an asshole by accident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, um <clears throat> Sorry, I'm still a little bit sick. But um, I also wanted to kind of go into um, just like, I guess, a general conversation too in terms of like chronic illness um, and disability. And I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier too, but the the misunderstanding I feel um, for those who, who have a chronic illness um, and the stigma that might come with it, the stigma that really shouldn't be there, but where do you think that stigma comes from? Is it just because there's no one that looks like them on screen? There's like, like I don't know how to say it, but like just society portrays disabled people as helpless, um, non-sexualized beings. Um, where, like the disability is always at the forefront and that's like the only thing that people see. I'm not sure if I'm wording that correctly, but do you understand what I'm saying? No, totally. Um, like their disability defines them and that's all that they are. Like, I, I totally understand um, what you mean. And I think that like, it's hard for me to, I guess, say like, this is where stigma began. But um, I mean, I think it's something that's been pervasive in our culture always. And if you look like historically um, at like genocides that were committed in order to like you know, cleanse, quote unquote, the world of people with disabilities or certain minorities. Like this is something that historically, I think um, it's not new. It's also not right. (laughs) It's really, it's really, you know, Um, and I don't know if I can say where I feel stigma comes from, aside from people being very uncomfortable with something that is, um, 
new to them or different than them. Different. But I do think that it's, yeah, I do think that it is perpetuated by capitalism. I mean, every, all of our standards for, for beauty, for instance, are created by probably some older white man somewhere. Yeah. By, by men who, you, you know, tell women and other and other people that they need to shave or they need to have plump lips or they need bigger breasts or they need to be thinner and like this idea of how a person needs to look is very based on what can earn them money because when you're running the fashion industry and you own the company that makes shaving supplies you know it it is beneficial to you to ensure that everybody wants to purchase your product. And the other thing I think is, let me just think about how I want to sort of say this, but um, keeping, I guess like the lower class quote unquote oppressed is also really beneficial to um, capitalism and to dictators i don't know no i guess that's a bit of a tangent but um, i hear where you're coming from though because that's i mean to share a sentiment on that too like um i mean we're lucky here in canada but like not everything is covered under benefits or under our uh, medical plan for example um our folks listening um in the states like a lot of that is out of pocket and from your statement there saying like keeping the oppressed oppressed. Um, There are a lot of disabled folk that are just living on welfare checks and using sex work as a supplementary um, form of income to help them live. So you're not, you're not wrong in saying that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think you put it into words for me almost better than I was able to put it into words for myself because I got a little bit jumbled there as I often do. But I think that essentially keeping oppressed people oppressed uh, benefits people with privilege. And that's going to be whether it is like a able-bodied person or like a colonizer, a white colonizer coming and, you know, or whether it is um, heterosexual people, like it, it benefits the oppressor to keep the oppressed oppressed. I think that's part of it. Um, but I think that the lack of representation perpetuates that stigma. And as long as disabilities or other minority people aren't given the same platforms as other people, uh, that's going to continue to be perpetuated because we're not seeing the representation, we're not exposed to it. Uh, and therefore, it's still kind of seen as weird when it is shown in media. Right. Yeah. I mean, like this is probably a perfect transition point to to really dive both be it into that part of the conversation that we want to have today in the underrepresentation of bodies and disabled bodies in porn, in like the sex industry, in everything, everything. <laughs> yeah. in fashion, in beauty, in everything. So yeah, let's, let's dive into that. That's a huge topic. So <laughs> yeah, no. And I think like it's, it's underrepresentation of people with disabilities, but it's also underrepresentation of Black people, Indigenous people, trans people, non-binary people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, it's um, just in general, the con- idea of conventional beauty, beauty leaves out, like the, like, the vast majority of the population. And when you're looking on, like, a porn tube site, for instance, it is generally very whitewashed, uh, able-bodied. It's going to be usually cisgender and heterosexual unless it's being fetishized. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) exactly. And I mean, you'll see like, okay, a a quote-unquote interracial video, but the whole focus of the video is on like, this is interracial and there's a whole genre for that. It can't just be like, oh, there's like two people of different races who are just having sex and that's normal and that's okay. (sighs) If there's a person with a disability, it's not oh, look, there's people having sex and one of them happens to be an amputee. It's, hey, this is the focus of the video and we're going to fetishize this disability. Um, and that's that's where I see the inherent problem. Is like, yes, let's have representation, but why does it have to always be 
fetishizing something. Oh my gosh. Right? Yes. So, oh my gosh. So much of that, which is completely yeah. infuriating because just like, yeah. as you mentioned, like, why can't we just focus on like two people having sex and having a great time? But yeah, so it was like big black cock with tight Asian pussy or yeah. like stuff like that, as you mentioned, like amputee and, and stuff like that. Like it's just, yeah, that is a focal point and that is what we're focusing on. And it's tokenizes it fetishizes tokenizing it and it reduces you to that's all that you are you're not a person you're not a performer you are asian that's all you are you are big black cock you are you know whatever else the um the like even like girl and girl quote unquote videos yeah. like it's so performative and it's so for the male gaze which is I get that that's like the majority of the consumers of pornography. So like we got to market to the consumer. I totally get that. But at the same time, it would be really wonderful to see more presentation of what like genuine bisexual, queer, lesbian, et cetera. Um, what that would be. It, it would be great. Yeah. Like a more genuine and less performative experience. Um, just in general to have that option, I think is, is, is just like helps to, in its own way, break down the stigma mm -hmm. um, and the stereotypes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I know there's a, a whole thing with like ethical porn and indie porn and alternative porn, which I think this is also like definitely part of the conversation here as something else that's like, something else that we can consume that is not just giving into these marketing terms and these buzzwords and just feeding that. Um, do you have any insight on those, that corner of the porn industry or in pornography in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's really cool because the more of this kind of content there is out there with like very consent based, uh, very um, like independently filmed or, um, like with, I guess, like feminist, quote unquote, um, objectives, like the more of that is out there, I think the more demand there is. And there there hasn't been, I think, a lot of demand for it because it just doesn't exist. So how how can people make a demand for it? But I think that the, the more that this type of content is created, at least having that alternative, like if somebody wants to watch something that's like a, a, a much more like violent pornography or something like that's all over the internet. They can easily find that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that having this, um, I guess it almost feels like a new development of like lots of these indie porn companies. I think it's really amazing. Um, I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with a few of them and to work with, um, yeah, more independent companies, uh, mostly just uh, they, they've commissioned me to do things and then I film it myself and send back the footage because we're in a pandemic and I can't, you know, travel from Canada all over the world necessarily and feel safe and comfortable doing that right now. But um, yeah, I think that it's just fabulous. I think it's really important and I definitely want to see more of that. And I also do think that the explosion of OnlyFans over the pandemic has really been, I mean, it's great in some ways, not great in others, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but the way that it's changed a lot of public perception about paying for yeah. content is amazing. Like, it, like if we want to see a change in how the industry functions, like people have to put their money where their mouth is. You can't just be like, well, things should change and then con continue to just consume more of the same. I think that like paying those independent companies so they can create more of that, supporting them, um, that's like, that's really crucial. And I think, I do think that OnlyFans uh, gaining so much popularity has helped the average Joe be more accepting of the idea of, oh, I'm going to pay five bucks for this pornography and I'm going to see this real person and they're going to pay their bills with it. And like, that's a really cool exchange that I think is, yeah, it's, I think, I do think in some ways it's going to be really good for the industry, even though I'm sure a lot of long-term, you know, porn performers might disagree, but there are pros and cons to everything. Oh, definitely. I've definitely had this conversation with many porn performers that have been on the show too. And a lot of them are actually really accepting of it. And because that's, that's a common question about, um, 
is uh, like how has OnlyFans affected your career? Um, and a lot of them have like, honestly welcomed it with open arms and they find it's a lot more uh, accessible way for them to get in contact um, with their fans and to have that intimate um, kind of experience or that kind of um, connection in a different way that is a very stark departure from, say, being on a porn set or creating your own porn and whatnot. So it's it's a little bit different. And I think like with OnlyFans too, like it just it, – it's really exploded and has really made a lot of, again, sex work accessible to all sorts of bodies, all sorts of people and individuals. Yeah. Like I love it. I mean, personally, I love it. <laughs> no, yeah. I really think that it also has like in its own way destigmatized it because like we said, I mean, the average – person is more accepting of it therefore I think in its own way sex work is somewhat destigmatized by that because it's just so common that I end up interacting with people on OnlyFans who have never paid ever paid for porn before but because of this now they've kind of dipped their toe into it and I do think that that like a new paying customer in the industry is a good thing even if there are some downsides to you know, a new site with so many users and the way that impacts other people. Like I, I still think that that's wonderful. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also just like, even on a broader front, if I'm really, and I like this tangent, so we're just going to keep running with it. <laughs> um, but like on a broader front too, with OnlyFans, I mean, everyone knows what OnlyFans is. Uh, of course, yet there are many, many different subscription sites that are out there for sure, but everyone knows OnlyFans and that's like a huge buzzword right now for sure. But it's recognizable and it's also allowing um, people to see that this type of work is legitimized and it is a real thing and people are making money off of it and it's like a really great source of income. So in that kind of way, I think it's kind of making sex work a little bit more mainstream, which which to me is a good thing for sure. I mean, of course, OnlyFans has its own problems. <laughs> I mean, yeah. have a problem for <laughs> plenty of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that too? And just turn like sex work becoming more mainstream? I mean, I think that the, I think it's great. Like I want it to be less stigmatized. You know, I obviously have a pretty foul taste in my mouth when I see like a very popular um you know mainstream actor or something starting an OnlyFans mm-hmm. and not even posting a nude and, and like being so successful like that. There are, there is a part of that that is frustrating as a sex worker, since we have built up so many platforms and then been deplatformed because it's taken over by the mainstream. And especially when those performers, like, I think it was like Bella. Yeah. Bella Thorne. Yes. Bella Thorne. I'm like, I literally don't even remember her name, (laughs) but um, you know, and then not even, saying anything in support of sex words like just deleting the comments and not even addressing the fact like not giving shout outs when you say you're going to um and not really taking a stance on sex work it's like if you're going to use our platform at least you know come out in support of us yeah. like so I do have you know obviously that conflicting feeling about it but me too <laughs> um, in general I do think that like making the idea of sex work more mainstream and more people talking about it. I, I love to see it. I recently spoke at um, UC Santa Barbara, I guess University oh, yeah. of California, Santa Barbara. Awesome. Um, I, yeah, it was great. I spoke with the students there yeah, and yeah. Uh, they asked me some questions and just talked a little bit about my career. And we talked about uh, disabilities and sex work and all that, all that jazz. And it was amazing to speak with these young people, like, one of them was like 19. They're just babies and they're learning this stuff. And I really think that, um, you know, the next generation of young progressive people uh, are going to make an even more radical change in the industry. Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, at the time of recording, it's June. I, um, for anyone listening, I actually just was speaking at um, SFU, my alma mater, uh, this morning on – sorry, not SFU, FSU in Florida. So <laughs> I – bounce back from both universities, but uh, <laughs> I was like, which one? Um, I was speaking at Florida State this morning and just the questions that came from this 
cohort of students, I was just so incredibly impressed with just how inquisitive and curious they were and just really wanting to understand our line of work and just where we come from and just and 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 everything being worded in such a respectful manner, it was just wow. I'm like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I know. I was like, where was this education when I was this age? Like this, I want to go back in time and like I want to be a young Gen Z now and like be getting all this incredible education and access to like all of this information on the internet. It's like I know, yeah. What a time! What a time what to be alive time. and young. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish, like I could have taken a course on that when I was in university. Like, yeah, I wish we had those opportunities. We had to like we had to live the course. Like we lived the course so that they could be get taught the course. Exactly. We are the course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Going back to sorry, going back to sex work and disability um, as well. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts in terms of. Um, the fetishization of disabled folks and the OT community, because I just feel like there's a big divide on that. And of course, there's no right or wrong answer um, at all. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Like, is this something that you support? Is this something that would benefit you? Um, and then for those who are not um, aware of what that is, you can listen to episode 51, which is all about the DOT community and fetishization of disabled folks. Um I really just, yeah, I'm, I'll leave my thoughts for now, but I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm personally not comfortable uh, fetishizing my disability or having it fetishized. I'm just, that's not me. That's what I'm, that's not what I'm into. I, it's just like a part of me and it's not what I want to be the focus in, in, in what I'm doing, at least not in like the content I'm making. But that being said, if another person wants to fetishize themselves or their own disability, I say power to them in the same way that like, I am not going to make a video that says like big black cock. Cause that's not something I'm comfortable doing. That's not something I want to perpetuate. But if a person wants to use that tag for themselves and that's how they want to get their bag and that's how they run their business. And they are like a person of color. I'm like, how can I, how am I going to sit here and tell you what you can and can't do with your body and how you can and can't earn money? So I personally feel if a person with a disability um, wants to fetishize their disability for money, power to them, I think that they should totally do that. I just don't think that should be the only option that we have. I think there should also be the option not to and to still be able to thrive in the sex work community. Definitely. I mean, like, (coughs) excuse me, going back to our conversation too, and we're just talking about um, disabled folks in porn and that being tokenized, I feel like that is, again, sometimes an example of what can happen within that devotee community they're just fetishizing that and they're, they're only seen as a disabled person. They're only seen as someone that's quote unquote crippled or whatnot. I just feel like so with, with my last guest that came on, um, he was all for it. However, he did have his own boundaries in terms of like, well, I'm not going to, going to pretend that I suffer from this other disease as some devotees might want to do. Um, as well like have you ever been in the have you heard of those instances before of like people just really trying to cross that line and push those boundaries um I mean no I have been I've been asked to perform in ways that I'm not comfortable with um but I mean I just say no and move on like I haven't had any real issues with anyone pushing and pushing for that um like certainly that's really problematic and and people using like derogatory terms and slurs um that's just like unless it's you using a word to reclaim where you're at I just feel like that's not something that we should be doing no uh but but you know but again like yeah if somebody wants to fetishize their disability and be called a name by someone while they're, while they're doing it, like, hell yeah, yeah. to you, like, to you. do it. Uh, but it is very nuanced. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it, there's no, 
clear answer. No. It's just not something that I'm comfortable doing. Absolutely. And that's totally fine. And I definitely respect that. I just wanted to see like what your opinion on is on, on that is. So um, I just want to say like, I guess closing out this portion of the interview, but I just want to see like, what would you like to see, <coughs> excuse me, more of in, in our industry in terms of like, like what can, what can companies do or what can people do to be more inclusive um, of disabled bodies and folks and, and like, what do you think needs to be done? What kind of change do you want to see? I mean, basically everything we've talked about, like I want to see more people with disabilities being cast without any mention of the disability even happening. Like it would be so like a revolutionary in a way to see large companies, like imagine like browsers or something working with a person who has a disability and it's not mentioned at all in the video. It's not fetishized. It just exists and they're there. For me, I will feel like I've been successful in my work when I see a performer who has a disability doing just that um, or when I am cast in videos and I'm not talking about my disability. It's just literally, oh, here's a person having sex. And like, yeah, they have a disability, but that's not the point. That's not important. And I think that that's really important. And of course, a lot of what I'm doing is talking to people about my disability. So it's kind of the exact opposite of that. But I want to do that in order to get to that point. So what I want to see more of is just across the board of diversity in casting without the fetishization. I want to see more trans performers where it's not a video all about, hey, let's fetishize and like, or make fun of, or, you know, um, otherwise like tokenize this person. Let's just allow them to exist and be having sex and also be trans. Um, so that's, yeah, that's something that I hope to see more of and something that we really need, I think, because everybody deserves to feel represented when they're watching TV, when they're watching Netflix, when they're watching porn. Like for me, it would be incredible to one day, see another performer with an ostomy like getting railed like I want like maybe I want to be able to masturbate to that because I yeah. want to feel represented uh, and that doesn't exist right now so mm -hmm. uh yeah that's why I'm doing what I do and that's what I hope to see change in the industry that's awesome and I just want to come here as well to say like I really hope that me inviting you on to speak about this is not feeling like I'm tokenizing you or fetishizing you in any way. No, no, not at all. Okay, good. Just wanted to start. Not at all. <laughs> no, and it is like I'm I'm it's like I say that, oh, I want to be able to exist and not just be my disability, but at the same time my career centers around my disability. So I absolutely understand that it's like there's two polar opposites there. But I think that I have to do what I'm doing now in order to hopefully help get to a place where it that's not necessary and maybe not me maybe a person after me will be able to exist and be successful and not have to mention their disability in their career if that makes sense oh absolutely makes sense thank you yeah. so much for that and then i just yeah i hope this episode speaks to someone or reaches someone in some capacity because again i just want to apologize I, again it's been a couple of years since i i've last invited a guest that can speak on this topic and just be an expert on this topic so Again, I'm trying to do my best too and trying to be as inclusive as possible and trying to get as many different bodies and people and colors and everything on the shows because that's also really important to me as well. So super stoked to have you and your expertise on the show today. But there <laughs> – Yeah. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you. There are just a few questions and comments um, that came in from the audience that I would love to share um, and yeah. we can kind of go into that. So – this one's a little long here, but um, this person writes in, I am a disabled person and I would say that I am a somewhat, I am a somewhat funny person. I struggle to talk about my disabilities in a lighthearted sense. I don't know anyone else with an FDEIA. Um, even if I did, they'd probably also not know how to discuss it in a lighthearted sense. And I think I, I Googled that um, briefly. It's like food, um, what was it? Food something induced anaphylax something oh my gosh I can't remember at the top of my head and I googled it earlier now okay. I forgot but something that is like a rare disability yeah. I assume exactly yeah and the yeah the person sorry there was a question that came with this as well um yeah, yeah. my question is if you have a rare disability how do you talk about it without being somber slash serious every single time 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's tough. Like I can only really speak from my experience and my disability specifically, but I know that for me, it can be difficult to, to even be able to find humor in where I'm at um, because there is no one else doing what I'm doing um, in this realm. So that it's, it's like, it's like sometimes for me, at least there hasn't been a person that I can bounce those jokes off of because sometimes you have to be the trailblazer so that someone else has that point of reference. Like you have to be the one who's breaking ground in order to make room for the next person who's going to come. And then they'll be able to have something to relate to in terms of humor. I mean, it's a, it's a touchy thing. Cause I think that a lot of able-bodied people don't want to joke with or at a disabled person because they don't want to be offensive. And I mean, that's totally fair. I don't want to be offended. So I don't, you know, um, but at the same time, the tiptoeing around someone is in a way kind of its own act of ableism because as a disabled person, you want to be treated like everyone else in another way. So I'm not really sure that I necessarily have a good answer for that about how to find humor in it um yeah that's a tricky one that's definitely yeah like maybe we can come back to that because um or maybe like if they were to ask again maybe rewording it because I'm just feeling like I'm not sure how to necessarily answer that but yeah no worries I mean if I can like kind of pitch in my two cents here I mean um again I'm not exactly sure what entails that specific um, disease, but um, with my alopecia, it's something that I have like a lot of anxiety about. Like I don't care about anything else really. Like everything is fine. It's all gravy. But with my hair, I get super touchy and just get anxious with with certain things. But the way that I do it, um, I, I do use humor in the way that I speak about it. And because it's just, it's for me, it's just hair. But the way that I kind of laugh about it, it's just like, oh, I get to change my hair like, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever. Ha ha. Like just trying to be like as light about it as I can. But I think it would also maybe just depend on what it is that you have. And it might be hard to navigate that kind of humor or navigate some kind of joke around it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really. People are, people are, don't want to be offensive generally, hopefully. Yeah. Some people really do want to be offensive and that's almost like more of a problem. But at the same time, people tiptoeing around you, it's like that makes you feel more uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I do think like bouncing off of what you said, just approaching it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Like shortly after my surgery, I, you know, when I was going to an event or a party, like pre-pandemic, I would introduce myself to someone and when they asked about me, I'd say, Yeah, I have an ostomy. Like this is I'm a sex worker. And just approaching it with that level of honesty yeah um and just like putting it all out there was really refreshing for me and I think it allowed me and other people to feel more comfortable which in turn led to maybe some organic humor because yeah I yeah that way it wasn't something that was like secretive because also when you're Mm -hmm. keeping a secret I think other people can pick up on that or when you're uncomfortable and they might not know what you're lying about or what you're uncomfortable about but they'll know that something's kind of off and so for me just like putting it all out there gives other people a sense of comfort and then maybe things can progress more naturally. I love that idea. Yeah. It kind of just like relaxes the atmosphere a little bit. So I'm definitely going to take a page out of your book and try that next time. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing here, um, it's more of a comment rather than a question, but this person writes in, well, I'm here living with multiple uh, sclerosis and bipolar disorder trying to supplement my social assistance income, hoping my body doesn't flare or relapse. And yeah, that's so hard. It is really hard. It's so hard. And it's, and it's not an, like, it's not a one-off. Like, I feel like that is, like we said, the low barrier for entry to sex work just means that it's accessible to people who otherwise would not be able to handle like a quote unquote regular employment. Like I could not work for eight hours straight on my feet or at a desk or anything like sitting for more than a couple hours is excruciating for my spine because I have a disease in my spine. It's like, it's like, it's not accessible. And so, um, being able to find a way to like have your side hustle or earn from sex work is 
for some people it's really freeing and it's also, I mean, it also can be really scary because you never know where your next dollar is going to come from. Yeah. Um, and like that does of course leave people, um, exposed to potentially being taken advantage of. Yes. Um, and that's something that we all have to kind of watch out for yeah. uh, and support each other. But, um, I do think that it's definitely not uncommon to find people in the sex work industry who are living with mental health oh, and, sure. and like chronic illness. Like I'd say the majority of sex workers I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm like, it's actually more common than you think. <laughs> yeah. Actually all of us, <laughs> all of us have ADHD. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's just a couple more things that came in here. Um, <clears throat> the next one is another comment here, but um, I'd love to share this. So um, this person writes in, I have three autoimmune disorders, including Crohn's, which is a big reason why this work works for me. My hurdles were getting over my insecurity about surgery scars and making sure I don't get burnt out. Totally. Totally. Because um, Crohn's disease is very similar to ulcerative colitis. They're both um, forms of uh, autoimmune bowel disease. Um, so yeah, they're like, they're kind of like, sister diseases. <laughs> um, and, you know, I totally agree. Like after surgery, being able to be naked and have my ostomy, it gave me more confidence than I even had prior to surgery and being naked all the time and having people compliment you. It's like that. I mean, when you're living with a physical disability, that definitely like, that doesn't hurt. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and the last one that came in here, um, I guess question is um i'd love to know more about the disabled sex worker calendar go out at go ask alex makes yes um so i i haven't done that for the last couple of years because i've been so so busy but uh i created a calendar featuring a variety of different super sexy and wonderful uh, sex workers who have disabilities uh, sort of like a pinup style wall calendar and each month featured a different person with a little quote from them and maybe how you could find them on social media. And the idea was just to showcase how many beautiful diverse bodies there are uh, in the sex work community, because I don't think that disabilities and sex work are something that are talked about enough. Uh, and it was very, it was very fun to do. I did it two years in a row and I would like to do it again, but it took a lot of time and a lot of financial resources and, and, and you know, as a disabled person, I also have, a, you know, a limit of both of those things sometimes. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So hopefully in the future, I'd love to like find someone who could collaborate on it with me and maybe share some of the responsibility. Yeah. Because that's a lot. That's a big project to take on for one person to do. So anyone listening out there, I know there are some photographers and, and you know, editors, graphic design, all that stuff listening in, go reach out to go ask Alex. She would love that. So, but <laughs> before we let you go, uh, where can we find you? Yes, you can find me everywhere on the internet. Um, I'm Go Ask Alex on pretty much every platform. Um, my website is goaskalex.com. You can read more about my work. I do blog posts. That'll link you to all my websites uh, on OnlyFans. I'm also just Go Ask Alex, um, OnlyFans.com slash Go Ask Alex. And then on social media, Twitter and Instagram, I am Go Ask Alex Online because somebody already had Go Ask Alex. Oh. So, go Ask Alex online. Yeah. Gotcha. We'll be plugging all those links in the show notes below. If you have not clicked already, go and go ahead and click now. And for everyone else listening, it's Strip by Sia on Twitter, on Instagram, on Anchor, on all major podcast platforms. Also, patreon.com slash Strip by Sia. And I also realized I didn't get, shout out the top tier people. So I'll just quickly do that now. So shout out to Snoo Snoo. Um, we have a, a brand new subscriber on the top tier by the name of Lash LaRue. We have Jay Sunsern, Justin Erickson, and Rup Sarkar. Thank you so much for um, <clears throat> subscribing to the top tier on Patreon. There's also two other lower tiers as well um, that people have subscribed to. And you can find some really great video exclusive content like this, as well as some other fun goodies. Again, I mentioned earlier, bonus episodes, behind the scenes footage and whatnot, all over there on patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. And again, if you could kindly rate five stars on Spotify and maybe write a review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps with the discoverability of the show and gets us out to more people that might need the show. So feel free to do so. Um, 
at whatever convenience you want and it's gonna be new episodes every single sunday including next week so be sure to tune in and we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week thank you alex thank you bye You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabern.